getting back. It's, uh, it's really a treat for me, especially this morning with uh, such a wonderfully talented group of singers, because I was out of town this, uh, this December when they were here, and, and it sounded good over the, the stream, over the internet, but uh, it's a little better in person, so, so I'm uh, grateful to be able to be here uh, in, the, in the room this morning. Uh, and, and because of the, the format today, you can, uh, I'm sure there might be, you might want to clap. The sermon will be just a little bit shorter this morning than normal, and so, you know, I've allocated some of my time preaching uh, uh, to the group of singers this morning. I, I, I was actually remarking to Megan the other day that as a result, I've got less time to preach on what is probably the loftiest and deepest passage uh, in the, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll see what we can do this morning. And because of that, I'm not, not going to have any type of uh, opening story or anything. We're just diving right into the text. We're going to get up to speed and hit the ground running here. Um, I do want, uh, want to remind you of something that we talked about last week as we started uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. We discussed how Paul wrote this letter uh, to the Colossians, presumably in response to some Gnostic teaching that had infiltrated the church. So, so by way of a quick reminder, here's kind of the main things to know about Gnostic thought. Um, Gnostics considered the physical world to be evil and the spiritual world to be good. So if you remember that, physical is bad, it's evil, spiritual is good. Uh, because of that, Gnostics couldn't imagine a reality in which the supreme God would entangle himself with the evil physical world. That did not make sense. To, to Gnostic ways of thinking. And then finally, they, they believed that there was a, a hierarchical system from the supreme God on down to lesser evil gods, and, and that in order to traverse that system or to progress upward within it, uh, humans needed special hidden knowledge about each subsequent god in that system. And so here's what this would have meant in terms of Jesus. Okay, Gnostic thought viewed Jesus as one of the lower order gods, far removed from the supreme God up at the top. And in fact, because Jesus was also human, he would have been viewed as having taken evil into himself in order to bridge that gap between the physical and the spiritual. And then in addition, when you think about the gospel message, the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ would have been thought of as great. And it would have been very helpful in, in starting one off on that path up toward the supreme God. But there would have been other grander things to learn along that path that would have allowed one to basically discard the gospel once they, once they moved past that level, if you will. So these are some of the things that Gnosticism would have, would have led the believers in Colossae to believe. 
And so it's no wonder that Paul found it necessary to write a letter to a church which he didn't even plant and he would never visit. But he heard about what was going on and, and was compelled to write a letter to this group of believers. And it's no wonder that Paul made such a strong statement about the person of Jesus that we're going to read today. A statement that is still so much of a blessing to us 2,000 years after he wrote it. So listen to what Paul has to say in, in light of all the things that we just uh, discussed. This is Colossians chapter 1, and we are picking it back up in verse 15. Paul writes, He, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We'll pause right there for now. There's, there's so many things we could unpack in just uh, those few verses there. First, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He's the visible image of the invisible God. So when we look at Jesus, we see God. We're not seeing someone like God. We're not seeing someone similar to God. We are seeing God himself. How would God respond in a given situation? Well, look at Jesus. can look at Jesus. What would God's glory look like radiating through a human? Look at Jesus. Now, the writer of Hebrews referred to Jesus as the exact representation of God's being, the radiance of God's glory. The Gnostics viewed Jesus as some type of lower demigod, orders of magnitude below the supreme God. And Paul says, no, no, not so. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There's absolutely nothing lacking when we look at Jesus. There's no distortion. There's no cloudiness. Nothing is out of focus. He is the image of the supreme God the invisible God. And then in addition, Paul writes, he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, not firstborn in a sense that he was ever created, not firstborn in a sense that, that he was born first. Paul's using the term here in the ancient sense of a position of authority and, and privileges and rights. The, the firstborn of, of uh, ancient families held complete authority over the entire family. Everything in all creation falls under Jesus' authority as the firstborn of all creation. And then in addition to that, all things are created by him or, or in him, as other translations might say. So things on earth and things in heaven. And we can't forget, heaven is creation as well. Heaven is a created place. It's all created by him and for him. Things visible and things invisible. And so we can't forget even angels, which are often invisible to us. Those are created in Christ 
and by Christ. All, all thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. I mean, Paul presents kind of this type of hierarchy and, and states that Jesus is in authority over it. You can, you can almost hear him saying to the Gnostics, you can set up whatever you want. Jesus is at the top. He is over all of that. All things are created by him and for him. And then more than just his involvement at the moment of creation, Jesus continues to hold all things together, Paul writes. So our universe, our, our world, our very lives would, would absolutely fly apart were it not for the sustaining work of Jesus in creation. You know, when children sing that song, he's got the whole world in his hands, there's some incredibly deep and profound truths in those lyrics. He's got the whole world in his hands. And I, I personally think some of the best ways to remind ourselves of, of uh, this truth is to think either really, really big or really, really small. So if we think really, really big, you know, the weather's getting nicer out now, and so we can go outside in the evening, find a comfortable spot, and, and just get lost looking at the stars and think really, really big. We obviously can't see all of them with our eyes. We know there are more stars out there than what we can see. Uh, scientists have estimated that there are one billion trillion stars in the universe. That sounds like a number that a three-year-old would make up, right? One billion just shooting out, but that's a, I promise, that's a real number. One billion trillion. One with 21 zeros after it. There are that many stars in the universe. Our brains cannot come close to fathoming that kind of a number, but we can try. We can try, right? So, you know, there's there's plenty of debate about the age of the earth, but, but let's say, uh, in this instance, let's say that you're a young earth person that holds to an age of the earth that is 6,000 years. Now, the number of seconds in those 6,000 years would be 200 quadrillion seconds. 200 quadrillion seconds, so a two with 11 zeros after it. If you counted one star every second, for those 6,000 years, you'd have to do it 5 billion times to count all of the stars. I mean, that <laughs> this is incredible. I, and, and let's say you're an old earth. You hold to an old earth perspective, a, an age of the earth that is 4.5 billion years old. Again, it, that, the number of seconds would be roughly 140,000 trillion seconds. So a 14 with 16 zeros after it. If you, for that amount of time, counted a star every single second, you'd have to do it 7,143 times to count every star that we guess that there are. Jesus holds all of that together. <laughs> that is, wow. He holds all of that together. But that's really big. We can go really small as well. We can go really small. We can think about our own bodies and the cells in our bodies. Nobody knows exactly how many cells make up a human body. Estimates are 10 trillion to 100 trillion cells in our body. But if you think about the DNA in each cell, they say that there's about six feet of DNA strand in each cell in our bodies. 
So if you multiply six feet of DNA times 100 trillion cells, that means that our bodies contain 110 billion miles of DNA. You know, has anybody ever told you it wouldn't amount to anything? Just tell them that. I've got 110 billion miles of DNA in my body. That, that distance, you can go to the sun and back uh, roughly 600 times. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible how complex the, the human body is. And, and again, Jesus holds together every single strand of DNA in our body. To those that, that held that Jesus was an inferior God who needed to be transcended on this ladder up to the supreme God, Paul says foolishness foolishness. Christ is supreme over all creation. He makes his case here. But then he goes on. He gives a parallel stanza in the next three verses that talks not just about creation, but then he starts talking about new creation. So look with me at Colossians 1 uh, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Christ is supreme over creation, but he's also supreme over the new creation. He's, he's the head of the church, those who've been given new life. Um, and just like he holds the firstborn position over creation, he holds the firstborn position of authority over the new creation as well. And again, it's, it's, it's not just that Jesus was the first person to ever rise from the dead. He wasn't. He, he brought uh, Lazarus back to life shortly before his own resurrection. You can, you can go back into the Old Testament and there were people who have been brought back to life through the power of God. But Jesus stands in authority over all who've been given new life. And he's the only one that came to life and then didn't die again after that. He holds that position of authority. And then once again, Paul, Paul reiterates that the fullness of God dwells in him. Fullness of God dwells in Jesus. That, that would have really thrown the Gnostics for a loop. In order for Jesus to have risen from the dead, he has to be physically human. And if that's so, then how could the fullness of God possibly dwell in him? That, that, that's, that's what they would have said. But again, it, it is so, according to what Paul writes here. And it's not that God begrudgingly found a way to reveal himself through Jesus. No, it says the word pleased. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus. It's not, Jesus wasn't plan B or C or, or any other alternative plan. Jesus was the primary and best way for God to reveal himself to humanity. There's no better way it could have been done. And God was pleased to do it. And then through Jesus, and Paul makes sure to say, not, not just through his divinity, but Paul references his physical blood, he reconciles to himself all things. Reconciles all things to himself. The, again, the Gnostics taught this eternal struggle between good and evil 
physical and spiritual, and, and, and Paul says, nope, nope, Jesus reconciled all things to himself. So, so the struggle between clean and unclean and pure and defiled, uh, holy, sinful, that it's been resolved. The relationship has been reconciled. So as grand as Jesus' preeminence is over creation, it is equally as grand over new creation, his church. And then Paul kind of narrows it down even farther, and he talks specifically to the church in Colossae and, and to us as individuals as well as we read this today. So look what he goes on to say in verse 21. He says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. When we, uh, when we read that, that we were once alienated from God, the, the Greek word there speaks of being cut off. Um, the, the New Living Translation says far away from God. There's a, there's a separation there. And that's something which Paul and the, and the Gnostics could agree upon. Mankind was far from God. They agreed on that. But their views diverged on how that problem would be solved. The, the Gnostics believed it was through increased knowledge and special insight. Paul knew it was, it was through the reconciliation found in Jesus. Two very, very different things. And then because of that reconciliation, Paul writes that we are holy and we are blameless and we are above reproach. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it's incredible that, that uh, Jesus holds the entire universe together, that he's the firstborn among the dead. But you and I, sinful you and I, through Christ are reconciled to God and we are made holy and blameless and above reproach. That is incredible. And there might even be that little voice inside of ourselves that tells us that's too good to be true. That's, that's, uh, that's not possible. That, that couldn't be. Maybe you're better, but, but blameless, holy, above reproach. That, that little voice is none other than Satan himself, whispering lies into our ears, into our minds. The wonderful truth of the gospel is that God is making all things right once again. Being cut off, being far away from God is resolved through the reconciliation of Jesus, the, the restoration of our relationship with God. So things are made right, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that he's done. What Paul writes here that Jesus has done. That, that's the hope of the gospel. That's, Paul was worried that the church was going to lose that when they held on to Gnostic thought. And so he wrote what he wrote here and, and going on in the rest of the letter. Paul urges the church to hang on to that hope found in the gospel, which, which even links back to what we talked about last week in the opening of the letter. 
the, the ultimate restoration, the, the, the fixing of all things, it's not yet been fully revealed in creation. The time will come, though. The hope of the gospel is the confidence that that time will come. It will come, again, not because of anything we'll do. It's not based upon our, our knowledge as the, as the Gnostics assumed. It's, it's only going to come because of what Jesus will do. And the hopeful message of the gospel, it's not, it's not like a bedtime story for children. or it, It's not just a story for those who are new to the faith. It, it is a hopeful message. It's something that is steadfast and from which we should never shift. It's not this bottom thing on the ladder of, you know, trying to reach whatever. It is... The, the hopeful message of the world. And so, you know, whether we find ourselves in the midst of a smooth ocean right now or where we find ourselves being tossed back and forth by the waves of affliction, we have to hold on to that truth of the gospel, the hope that comes with that truth. And, and I think one of the main ways we do that is by remembering that Christ is supreme. Remembering all the things that Paul wrote here. That Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That in Jesus all things were created. You and I included. That uh, in Jesus all things are held together. And again, you and I included that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. In Jesus, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through Jesus we find reconciliation. That's what helps us to hold on to that hope by remembering who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing. Christ is supreme. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Christ is Supreme, And in his supremacy, he has chosen to, and he's done the work to reconcile all things. Again, you and I included. So my prayer is that if you've not ever discovered that hope of the gospel, that uh, today would be that day. That today would be that day that you discover it and put your faith in, in the supreme Christ. And my prayer is also that for those of us who have discovered that hope of the gospel in the past, like Paul encouraged the church here, that, that we would not shift from it. Whatever happens to us, whatever type of learning or knowledge comes our way, that, that we would not shift from the foundation of the gospel message, that Christ is supreme over all creation, over the church, but over us as individuals as well. Let's close in prayer by giving God thanks for who he is and what he's done. Jesus, we give you praise for this reminder. Thank you for the words of Paul this morning that, that we can reflect on who you are, on, on your grandeur, your power, your greatness, but at the same time that we can reflect on your love, and not just in a general sense, but, but your love for us as individuals. 
We praise you for that. We, we praise you that, that, that we can be holy and blameless and above reproach. And, and we know it's not anything we do. We know it's your work within us. But we worship you because of it. Help us to remember these truths about you. And again, to remember how great you are, to remember that you hold all things together, that you're the firstborn from among the dead, but, but also to remember the work that you have done and are doing within your people, within us. We give you praise for that. It's why we're here. It's why we worship you. It's why we, why we follow after you. It's why we tell others about you. God, we thank you for it. Help us to not forget. Help us to not forget who you are, what you have done, and what you are doing. God, we give you the praise. We give you the honor. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. The group's going to come back up again, and I'll move the pulpit out of the way, and we'll listen to some more great music.